We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, and welcome to another BuzzBeat, a Charlotte Hornets podcast. This is Richie, and we are live on Twitch, YouTube, and Twitter spaces. As we get into this, I wanted to read our latest review on Apple Podcast. It's short, it's sweet, but very much appreciated. It is from user cbailey29, titled My Favorite Hornets Podcast, and he states, great way to keep up with the Hornets in combination with the guy's Twitter content. So uh, we don't care for long-winded reviews, but we love this stuff. It's the stuff that keeps us going, and we will continue to read these when we get the chance. Lastly, uh, we encourage you guys to check out our Substack, BuzzBeat Plus, where you can get early access, ad-free pods, exclusive content, and we actually have a Christmas discount going on uh, but you have to redeem it by tomorrow the 28th you can get 25 percent off an annual subscription by visiting buzzbeat.com buzzbeat.substack.com slash eximus so that's the promo code on today's episode i'm going to be joined by brian by lee we are going to recap the 113 one. 24 loss to the Blazers from last night, dropping their record to 9-25. and 25. Lee, how's it going? Hopefully your uh, Christmas was good. It was great. It was great. I'll keep it, uh, I'll keep it short and sweet, like our five-star review that we very much appreciate. My favorite gift, I got an espresso machine. So I've been, I've been, uh, I've been whipping those up in the morning, which, uh, which is fantastic, frankly. <laughs> so made by Nespresso, you're saying? Is it an espresso? Yeah, it is. It's the it's that brand. Um, and yeah, I mean, I you know, I'm a I'm a I'm traditionally been a French press guy in the morning, yeah. but I do I do appreciate a good espresso. So that's been a nice change. So yeah, shout shout out my fiance for giving me an espresso machine. Yeah, I had I had one of those as well, and I, I used it a lot. And eventually it just became to the point with like frothing of the milk and all that type of stuff. It got a little tedious in the morning when you got to get out of the house. Uh Pretty early as a teacher, but Ryan, how about you? How was your break? How was your Christmas uh, with your family? 
Christmas was pretty good. Uh, holidays were pretty good. Um, some bumps and bruises along the way. It wasn't the most uh, leisurely of holidays this year, but so good to see, still good to see family. Um, still good to have a couple of days off from work. I did not get an espresso machine, though that would have been awesome. Um, I did get some nice gifts, some thoughtful gifts. So um, just kind of enjoying. Guys, subscribe to BuzzBeat Plus so Brian can get an espresso machine. All right. <laughs> yeah, give me one, or if you want to, just uh, just mail me one too. That would be cool. Um, I am caffeinated this morning, but I'm going just straight out of the pot coffee. But no, it was good to be back home and spent some time with my mom for a few days and you know watched sort of watched some of the NBA games Christmas Day and uh kind of lay low for a little bit now using some downtime between now and the end of the year to get caught up on some college hoops backlog yeah it was interesting with the NFL on on Sunday as well I think I watched more NFL than I did NBA but Let's get into the game from last night. Uh, the Blazers are a team that actually might be a tad better than their record indicates. They've had a rough schedule to start the season. I believe that they are the only team in the NBA to have two six-game road trips so far this season. And the Hornets are currently on their six-game road trip and have had their fair share of difficulties as well. Nick Richards has been the latest player added to the injury list. And uh, he was out for this game, and that is going to bring on a talking point, which we'll get to here in a second. I thought the best part for the Hornets in this game was the ending to the first quarter, the beginning of the second quarter. It was fun to watch as their defensive intensity and activity was definitely visible. They turned defense into offense, and I know that we beat a dead horse when we talk about this, but that's probably one of their biggest assets when it comes to scoring the basketball. They got a double-digit lead. They had a six-point halftime lead, but it was all downhill in those final two quarters. Uh, Blazers slowed down the offense. They went into some zone at times. They got cold, the Hornets, that is, and then just Nurkic went off in that second half. And, you know, having said all that, you know, there's a lot of doom and gloom when it when you're talking about that type of stuff. But we do have some some talking points to get into. And I like to lead off with Mark Williams, who filled in for the injured Nick Richards. Uh, this was the first time this season that he actually got first quarter minutes. I thought he was solid. I thought his size and his length were just the obvious thing that always jumps off the page. My favorite sequence from him occurred in the second quarter uh, when he was defending a pick and roll. And it wasn't necessarily a drop per se. Uh, it was more of like a, a contain. And I have it pulled up here on the screen where he was like one step below the level of the screen. He forces the pass back up to the top for Nurkic and he's able to deflect the pass and run the court. And I don't think Jalen McDaniels makes a pass here. I think he just kind of loses control, but the fact that he was able to grab that ball around his ankles and go back up was solid. I, I thought his presence was felt on both ends. I think one of the more promising signs for Mark Williams too, was that when he was in the game, he was not shy. He was assertive. He didn't, shy away from the action. If he got a chance, he went up with the ball. So Lee and Brian jump in here with your thoughts on Mark Williams and, and what this means for the future of the season with him at the center position. Yeah. Well, well, first off, unfortunately it probably won't mean much until once Dick Richards gets back, <laughs> like, like, like as soon as, Dick, as soon as Richards is back in the lineup, Mark Williams will probably uh, go back to whatever role he had beforehand. I, I actually don't, no, even if even if he continues to play like this and play well, I just 
it's short of them moving Plumley. I don't see them changing the center rotation from what we've seen the first few chunks of the season. Uh, we'll see, I think, maybe later in the year if if this team continues to sort of like unravel in terms of wins and losses and if they do painfully and inevitably uh, lean into what they absolutely should do, which is uh, you know play for a, a top draft pick um, or the number one draft pick, much as they possibly can. But Williams was good last night. Richie, I love the clip that you highlighted there. You know, they didn't have Mark in a deep drop, um, which I thought right. was a little interesting. That could be due to the personnel of the opponent. You know, you've got Damian Lillard, you have Anthony Simons, you have these are two of the better, you know, you know, long range pull up shooters um in the league. And I, I know Simons ran a little hot and cold last night, but man, some of the movement shooting stuff he was doing early in the game was so impressive. And then Dame had kind of an off game, I think, shooting from deep, but he was able to eventually turn the corner, get downhill, make some plays, and then got to his jumper late in the game. I, I thought Dame, despite the, the the rocky shooting, like his just his rim pressure, his creation, the 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 gravity he has, I thought that was was like really really good for Portland in this game, and certainly Jeremy Grant was uh, was pretty awesome and just a matchup problem for the Hornets. But it's back to Williams. I thought he looked good in the pick and roll. I thought he looked solid. I thought, you know, you could see his length on that deflection there as Nurkic threw a pass that had probably 1% the chance of, like, like, buddy, I don't know who you are trying to thread that one. Uh, Nurkic, I know, can pass and had some nice passes last night, but I, I don't think there was a, a window there. And if Williams hadn't deflected it, I think the, the wing well, may have gotten that ball instead. But Williams was active. I do think we saw some of the some of the some of the good and bad habits of Williams. Like there were twice last night he tried to block a shot, like as like a help side guy at the rim, and he left the rim, he left uh, the the basket exposed for putback opportunities. I think Portland scored on one and then maybe got fouled or missed another bunny at the rim on a putback opportunity. I have to go double check the film on that. But I remember noting there were two times that he went to block a shot, and it's good to see him be aggressive like that. But his um, his effort to contest or to to reject was probably um, a little overeager, and because of that, he gave up a, a pretty clean putback opportunity. That's something that happened a lot at Duke, um, and I do think with experience, and maybe not a lot at Duke, but definitely happened its fair share at Duke. And uh, guys in the NBA, it's gonna be tougher to block those shots, and guys who are at the rim for putback opportunities are gonna be even better and, and more likely to capitalize on those. So. I think that's something that will, over time, you know, make its way out of his system. And I bet by year two, we see that way less than we see it now. Um, again, more and more reps against this type of competition would be helpful. I also liked, I made note of this, I thought the Williams usage last night, nothing nothing spectacular. You know, screen and roll, they ran some of you know, some like five out delay sets with him as the handoff guy. That I like that a lot. I like, like, that's the stuff that it's, it's, it's simple. It's easy to do. It's just ending up in screen and die for him. But I do like kind of getting the ball in his hand a little bit, letting him uh, get a feel for it, then launch into action as the as the screen and roll guy, as opposed to just sort of like doing one five flat pick and roll. He he looks a little bit uncomfortable when he's out there before the screen. You know, when he's doing that side to side action, it yeah. looks a little bit uncomfortable. But obviously, you've got to let him experience get, that. Get the reps. Kind of- hundred percent hundred percent um and he ran i made a note of this too he ran screen roll last night with at least a half dozen different ball handlers um jalen mcdaniels teo maldon 
uh, Gordon Hayward, Kelly Oubre, LaMelo Ball, including some stuff against Portland's zone defense, and also Terry Rozier. Um, so with some handoff action late in the game too. So like seeing the usage, like seeing some of the pick and roll variety with the different ball handlers and so, sort of different ways you could get into some of that. I'd love to see more empty corner pick and roll with, with Mark Williams. I'd like to see him get more pick and roll reps with LaMelo Ball. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. So just a couple points to kind of tie a bow on it. I mean, you know, first of all, it it, it was nice to see Williams last night. It made a, you know, 10 p.m. Uh, West Coast day after Christmas Hornets game actually like somewhat interesting because it was like, you know, we've all I mean, you know, on this podcast and kind of the 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 Hornets fan base more at large has, has certainly been clamoring to see the lottery pick, which which you can understand. I think one point that I would make is that, you know, to this point, all we've been able to do is theorize why we haven't seen Mark Williams play. I think last night at least, you know, kind of proves the hypothesis that Williams would be playing if it wasn't for the Nick Richards breakout. You know, that's something we've, we've thought was the case. And obviously him being unavailable tonight, Mark Williams automatically, you know, inserted into the rotation as the backup center, which means, you know, it wasn't Kai Jones and it wasn't a ton of PJ at the five, although they did go to it a little bit late in the game. Yep. It, it also, I think, would I think it's reasonable to assume that it would also mean that if Plumley was traded, then Mark Williams also would play and be in the rotation. So I think generally that is a takeaway and is a good thing. 
Brian, I also had a note about kind of his 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 flailing reactions trying to uh, trying to block shots around the rim. Funny enough, I mean that's something Nick Richards struggled a lot with in his first two seasons. You know, he would be uh, as you put it, over eager to kind of to kind of run around like a maniac and try and block shots, leaving the back, you know, leaving the weak side open for for offensive rebounders. And that's something Nick's gotten a lot better at. So hopefully, um, and and it's funny. I mean, honestly. I thought Mark Williams looked a lot like Nick Richards last night. I mean, they're kind of similar profile of players. I mean, you know, obviously Mark Williams is a lottery pick and Nick Richards is a second round pick. So I don't know if Hornets uh, fans will will love hearing that, but Nick Richards has also become like a pretty high end quality backup center in the league. And I don't think that's a horrible starting place for a young center like Mark Williams either. So um, those were kind of some of my thoughts that I had. The only other little small note I had, you know, he was three for four from the free throw line. He's got a nice looking uh-huh. kind of mechanical uh, touch for such a big guy. He was a decent free throw shooter, particularly in his sophomore year at Duke. I think he shot like 73% from the free throw line his sophomore year at Duke. So I don't think it's crazy to think that Mark Williams could eventually down the road develop at least kind of a, a a modicum of floor spacing, you know, and you see that in the, in the free throw stroke a little bit. So good activity, good minutes from, from the young center. I don't know how long Richards is going to be out, but certainly would love to get another look or two at him um, before things go back to, uh, you know, normal, I guess. You don't, you don't think Mark Williams has to switch his hand to his left hand for the free throws. (laughs) I think we're okay on that one. I think we're on pit. Give me a granny shot. Could, but, you, could you imagine if he got a similar level improvement from uh, Plumlee? Uh, then Mark Williams would be like the best free throw shooter in the league. So, so maybe right. he should. Maybe he should explore it. Um, I I can't tell. Eric Collins is starting to like walk the line a little bit with the Plumlee left-handed jumpers, where it's like, uh, like the excitement is is like fun and in good nature, and also like let's let's maybe not get a little too ahead of ourselves here you know like mason will make a wide open 14 foot jumper and in eric Collins will just like howl with glee and be like <laughs> he found something folks he found something and it's like literally every no team will ever ever contest that shot everyone will be more than happy to uh to sit in the paint and just um just let that thing go um yeah as far as the you know minutes with williams go i just thought he looked uh, positionally in the pick and roll against a tough team like that, I just thought he looked ready. He looked he looked good, I thought, which is what I would expect. Like I, I do think Williams is a guy that is is here to play center in the NBA for a long time and be solid um defensively at a minimum and hopefully better than that. I mean, you know, you mentioned you compared that he and Richards, like they are a similar archetype in terms of like sort of like true center. Um, and who knows, maybe there's some chance that Williams does develop into a, a guy that can take, you know, one and a half wide open threes per game off the pick and pop. I mean, we're years away from that, probably even being a, a possibility, a remote possibility. But you're seeing like hints of it, as Lee was sort of saying. I think the thing for, for Williams is that just because of his his size, his mobility, his length, obviously within that archetype, he has more upside defensively. Um, and I will say last thing on, uh, on Williams was you saw him late in the game. Portland was just so matchup heavy in the fourth quarter with its offense and it worked in a, in a bunch of different ways. I mean, they, they went through all the different, you know, toys in the, in the, in the toy box, you know, 
including Nurkic. Yeah, they, they were brutalizing him with Jokic. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, Nurk- uh, Nurkic. Nurkic yeah, and, and they did the same. With, I mean, they went at Plumlee too. Like, you know, Nurkic is is obviously a, a tank, um, but you could see, you know, that was the one thing Williams is going to add. It's not like you're going to have to get stronger, but I really do think like in the lower body, those were the type of things that really gave him issues in college. And that was sometimes a guy like Zed Key at Ohio State. That's like a six eight post guy that would have a little bit of extra weight muscle on him. Not a guy like Nurkic, who's almost you know is basically his height, but has however many pounds on him and is physical and, and comfortable playing with his back to the basket. But I did like that. There was one time Williams tried to throw down a putback dunk in the second half. That was on a second chance opportunity, and he didn't make. The, he didn't. He didn't finish it. But he looked explosive. He looked strong. He looked physical. In the times where he was, I think, frustrating at Duke on the offensive end were when he was like a little finesse with his finishes on, on around the basket or putbacks. There's that famous time of the NCAA tournament where I think it was in the Arkansas or the Texas Tech game where Williams is going back up with a putback shot. He gets blocked from behind by someone shorter than him. And the camera, the CBS camera immediately cuts to Mike Krzyzewski on the bench. You can hear him saying to, I think, John Shire, one of the other assistants, you can clearly see him mouthing, saying soft, like right for, like as Williams got blocked. Now, he was awesome the rest of that game. But I did think last night against Portland, it was encouraging to see Williams um, try to really finish with some real force, even if he uh, wasn't successful. All right, let's transition over to another big. P.J. Washington had a very good game. I think many would argue that he was the player of the game, finishing with 22 points and six rebounds. He was four or five from deep with two triples in the first, one triple in the second, and one triple in the third. Seems like everyone tailed off in that third and fourth quarter. But I think what I've noticed from this game, and as the players start to come back into the fold, P.J. is a guy that is best suited when... He isn't relied upon uh, heavily. He's a low-usage guy. He's somewhat in the background. I think he does have the skill to do certain things with the ball in his hands, like run the occasional pick-and-roll. He can be a playmaker. But the lower-usage games are typically better for him. He can shine, and when he's not the focal point on the offensive end, when he does chip in, it just feels like he's making more of a positive impact instead of always relying on this guy. So with all these injuries that have piled up over the course of the season, and now that the players are starting to get back healthy, you want to save this guy's energy for the defensive side of the court. You want to save this guy's energy as a pick-and-pop player. You don't want to feel like he needs to score the basketball. And I think that's where the context matters. And one thing that I did mention on a previous episode for PJ, just as a progression for his development. I I think he needs to develop and take advantage of his floater game and build off of that. I think there's two reasons why. Number one, he has struggled over the course of his career to score at the hoop. So if he can't get all the way to the hoop, or if he is getting all the way to the hoop and he just doesn't have the finishing craft, uh, obviously it's not going to be very beneficial. Number two, he's very good at slipping screens and diving into the paint and you know, playing off the short roll. So he's going to get opportunities to stop short of the restricted area and take advantage of a floater. And he actually hit two floaters in this game in the second half. One of them came off of a trap where LaMelo had the ball and he found a gap in the paint 
and LaMelo got the assist. And then number two, he drove in from the wing. So like I said, he's got the skill to, to handle the ball and he finished through contact on a floater. I think you could probably argue that it could have been an and one. So I think it'd be wise if PJ would work on this aspect of the game. He has games like this where he can just light it up from deep. And that's a big part of his game because he did go four or five uh, from behind the arc. And that was the biggest story for him in this game. And I think the overall efficiency was great. But I do think because he's such a low usage guy, he's got to find little ways here and there on the margin to take advantage of um, opportunities that are given to him. So I, I think the floater game is one thing that I would wish that PJ could work on. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I doubt that he's hitting those things at you know a, a crazy rate. Yeah, probably. I mean, anything from the mid-range, whether it's long mid-range or short mid-range this year, has been a tough spot for P.J., right? And that's why we talked about this a week or so ago. When he has off nights shooting from deep, the mid-range hasn't been there to sort of, and the foul drawing isn't there to sort of, um, you know, uh, make up for the off night shooting um, from deep. So when he has a game shooting like that last night, it does feel like everything else sort of... you know, settles into place. He's given you the defense. I thought defensively, I, I mean, I know he was guarding Grant at times, and Grant had a big game, but I just thought PJ's activity level, his rotations, his hands were so good defensively. I think he's been rock solid on that side of the floor this year. Um, the, it's the offense that's been up and down and is so sort of jumper dependent because the the rim finishing, the mid-range finishing isn't there. I do think the context for him is tough this year, especially in games without LaMelo, right? Because... One, you know, you're trying to run pick and roll action with Dennis Smith Jr. and Theo Maldon. I think you can have some success there. Or Terry Rozier, you know, that's not what Terry really does does best. Um, but often, as we've discussed plenty of times, PJ is almost always playing the four this season. And so when he is screening and diving and or shore rolling into space, it's usually with someone else in the dunker spot. And sometimes Charlotte can offset that a little bit by having Richards or Plumlee set, in, set one of those exit screens along the baseline to hopefully get him out of the paint a little bit and possibly tie up the backline help defender. But that doesn't work against every team. I feel like it's it's you can use it more so against younger teams, younger backline centers and rim protectors. But often PJ's just diving into clutter, right? And so what I to Richie's point, I'd like to see him just catch in space on those looks and get to the floater as opposed to trying to put his head down in space on the short roll and barrel to the rim. I mean, it'd be one thing if he was drawing a lot of contact or could have a little bit better success finishing in those, but those stuff, those things are getting altered. They're getting blocked. They're, they're strong contests on them, and you're just not getting enough juice out of them. So I think for both this season but also long-term, it would be nice to see. I'd love to see more of PJ on those short roll finishes in space lean in um on that floater but as far as the defense goes I think it's been awesome like d- double thumbs up from me on, on this side and, and certainly playing with Lamelo is huge I looked this up earlier today on PVP stats but may not seem like a big difference but uh PJ's three-point attempt rate with Lamelo on the floor this season above 46 percent uh with Lamelo off the court uh it's under 41 percent it's not a huge you know five percentage points not a huge difference but I do think that matters because I think the closer you get that number to 50, the better for PJ because it means less of these mid-range shots. It means more catch and shoots, which means probably more open looks too in terms of like what the contest level looks like. So I think having LaMelo back for him 
um, like everyone else on the roster, is a huge deal, but maybe PJ more so than anyone else. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I mean, obviously, this isn't um, groundbreaking by any means, but I, I think every single player on this roster has been pretty significantly negatively affected by Lamelo's absence from from a offensive efficiency standpoint. Um, you know, the the offense. It's still a pretty small sample size, but the offense has been slightly better with LaMelo on the floor than LaMelo off the floor. So, you know, you you see that at least a little bit in the advanced numbers right now. PJ is, you know, below league average uh, from an efficiency standpoint, just about everywhere on the floor this season. But like, you know, and you guys both just did a really nice job kind of laying out, um, you know, kind of the 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 pros and cons of of the everyday minutia of PJ's on floor game. The only thing I would add is, I've talked at length. Me and Richie have had a couple conversations about kind of his inconsistency this year. You know, there are games where he looks like uh, the the prototype modern forward in the NBA, and there are games where you kind of forget he's out there for stretches. That being said, like I am still pretty adamant that whatever this teardown ends up looking like, if anything at all, because this team obviously right now is bad enough to get a top three pick without having to tear things down any further. Like I'm pretty steadfast in not wanting to include PJ Washington in any type of teardown deal. Like he is, he, he is, he is a seamless fit on this roster with LaMelo ball and whatever comes in the future. And uh, it looks like James has posed a question here that honestly kind of kind of goes right into this uh, into this conversation because PJ Washington will need to be re-signed in the offseason if he is going to remain a Charlotte Hornet. James says Jeremy Grant, who had what thirty last night, makes twenty five million a year. Is PJ worth twenty? If not, should the Hornets trade him? You know. I understand the instinct for Hornets fans to want to pay, trade PJ Washington. You know, it's kind of like the first couple years of Miles Bridges' career where he would make, you know, four to six percent improvements in the offseason, but had never really had like a 12 to 15 percent massive leap until he finally did. So I'm just, I'm just, I'm very, very hesitant to trade PJ Washington. Um, in terms of what he's worth on the open market, I, I think, yeah, I think 17 to 20 is probably about right. But admittedly, uh, kind of the the cap space stuff and, and what these guys are, are worth on the open market is probably my weak spot in covering this team. So do, it, do either of y'all have any strong opinions about what a PJ contract, uh, you know, what he could demand essentially in the open market? No, I think it would have to be north of 15, um, 20, oh, 20 is sure. pushing it like in, in terms of my like comfort level. Uh, so it, you're probably rightly around 17, 18. And I think the CBA expires after next season, the 23, 24 season. Uh, so when they do come up with that new collective bargaining agreement, uh, maybe a $18 million a year contract might not look as bad. Uh, compared to maybe this season. So uh, it's yeah. interesting the decision that they made not to extend him when they had the opportunity. And now they're going to be, I guess, you know, risking it a little bit as he is heading into restricted free agency. Uh, but yeah, that, that seems about right. And I, I don't think that I would, 
I don't think I'd be upset if you got $20 million a year, but I would definitely be pushing closer to that 17 million, 18 million, even though it doesn't seem like a, a big difference. I think it does in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Well, when we talked about this probably a month ago, right? Cause there was that report that came out that said, um, you know, there were some, the negotiations uh, prior to the season starting between PJ's camp and the Hornets where Charlotte wanted to get him on a Wendell Carter Jr. type extension, you know, 50 over four, and that PJ's camp was looking for more in the, the $20 million range. And so what I proposed, when we discussed this, I proposed, well, what about sort of like meeting in the middle? That's probably where this thing ends up. So maybe you end up and it starts at, maybe you end up and it starts at 17 or 18 a year, and then it works up to 20, especially as the cap right. is. It's so, you yeah. know, the deal ends up being 75 over four or, you know, what, you know, maybe 80 over four or whatever, but it just, it looks a little, the way it's structured looks a little different. So maybe even in the last year, you know, he's earning 22 million. I don't think um, playing someone like PJ is ever going to hurt you that much because he's a two-way player that shoots threes. Like, you know, I, I mean, we can say, what, hard, yeah, That's you say what you want, say, say what you want about the, the inconsistencies and the fact that, you know, I don't think he's outside of some flashes. I don't think he's really been able to capitalize on the runway he's had as a playmaker this season for Charlotte. And the mid-range shooting has certainly been tough. The context is obviously not good for him. And I think it's important to note that. Um, so I do think there is a little bit of a, there is this delta between, well, we know the known with PJ, which is we know this guy can be a, a hybrid, you know, four or five that can guard it, but can switch, give you some rim protection, guard a bunch of positions, rotate, be in the right spot, put out fires defensively, and he can shoot threes. Um, and he can give you some other stuff too. And like, he's not just a, you know, he's not like a PJ Tucker, like just sit in the corner. Like he is an above the break pick and pop shooter that can attack closeouts. And as we've also, as I've brought up previously, uh, SIS, Sports Info Solutions, which I, a place I used to work for part-time, they put out a stat at the end of last season that looked at how the best guys in the league get sort of like maintaining advantage um, when they're like in the middle of a play. So they're not the person finishing the play. They're not the person starting the advantage chain by taking a guy off the dribble or running pick and roll, et cetera. But they're the guy that's making the pass, that's connecting everything. And PJ was one of the best guys in the NBA at maintaining advantage, which again, I think that feeds even more into my belief that he's just a really nice secondary piece for any offense because he's not going to make a ton of mistakes. He's going to, you know, some off nights shooting the ball. They all, and, and certainly like when he has an off night shooting from deep, that, that makes everything else look less efficient for sure. But as a guy that can help you maintain advantages, can shoot threes and defensively he does a lot of good for you so i'd be curious to see what pj's value would look like on the open market um and maybe that's the way charlotte's gonna if yeah. they don't trade him maybe that's how they're gonna play it like go get an offer bring it back to us and you know we'll probably match it or we'll see if we want to match it you know i mean certainly you're not gonna just let this dude you know walk out the door obviously um so i think there's gonna be maybe some gamesmanship and maybe that'll depend on what the market looks like uh, for PJ this offseason. But I just think as you're continuing to build it up around LaMelo, this guy's going to make sense no matter who you draft with the top whatever pick this year. You know, if it's Victor Weminyama, if it's Scoot Henderson, if it's one of the Thompson twins, if it's Cam Whitmore, like PJ fits with all of these uh, possibilities because he can either be a six man coming off the bench 
giving you shooting, giving you defense at the four or five, or he can start for you at the four, you know? So there's just a lot of versatility. And I think it should also be, can be mentioned too. Like, is there anyone on this roster that, that has had his role change more on a year to year basis the last four seasons than PJ? Like it has been, I mean, from his, the start of his, his rookie year, to then his second and third year playing a ton, like almost half of his minutes, over half of his minutes to maybe last season at five, to what he's doing this year, back to the four, but more on-ball usage, his defensive role shifting around. So it, coming off the bench, starting, and like he continues to give just pretty solid two-way production despite kind of having his role jerked around a little bit. So, um, you know, is PJ a $20 million a year guy to everybody? Probably not. But for a team like Charlotte that I think is going to have, especially, you know, once Hayward comes off the books and, um, you know, for Azir wherever to be moved, you know, whatever, like it just, I think a salary like that can fit. Um, certainly if you can knock it down from there, the, you know, the more, the better, I guess, for the, from the team building perspective. But, uh, but I mean, PJ is one of the best, like draft and, you know, development guys they've had the last couple of years. So I'd be willing to pay a little bit more to retain a guy like that. I think versatility and scalability are probably the two words that you would use to describe PJ. You know, you can f- feature him a little bit more or he can take a back seat. I think that's what's part of the issue with PJ because he can be a low usage guy, seeing him get $20 million a year doing that while still being effective kind of on the margins feels a little bit odd, but we are going to transition over to Terry Rozier We are live on YouTube and Twitch, and we are displaying any comments or questions that come our way. And uh, James has another comment asking, have we talked about Terry yet? We have not. Uh, He was cold from the field against the Blazers last night, and it felt like if the Hornets got anything from him, the outcome of this game could have been a little bit different. Maybe the Blazers fans could say the same thing about Dame. Dame had a very cold well I guess a cold start to the game but he did turn it on a little bit later so maybe their performances probably negate each other a little bit but Terry Rozier um, I think that this season has been a struggle for him his first bucket in this game came under 10 minutes left to play from the field he was two of 17 the team was a negative 26 with him on the court and I don't think this is an excuse for the way that he's played this season but I do think that context matters with T-Row I think All of his ball handling duties and responsibilities this season have just been a little bit too much for him. And he is a guy that if he does get in that mode of of handling the ball a little bit too much, he's going to weave in and out of traffic and keep that player on his back. But he doesn't necessarily always have a, a plan in place. And he is much better suited to play off ball. And even when he played with uh, Teo last night, I feel like he dominated the ball, which I, to me is not the way that you're going to use Teo or Terry Rozier. So, Lee, what, what are your thoughts on Terry, not just in last night's game, but just kind of overall for the season and, and his overall effectiveness uh, for this team? Because I just don't feel like um, it's, it's hitting a point where it feels like old Terry Rozier. Yeah, no, I mean, <clears throat> I think there's three things contributing um, to this kind of lackluster season for Terry Rozier, particularly from kind of a shooting efficiency standpoint. I mean, you know, we've we've talked about how uh, how he's essentially transformed since coming from Boston. He essentially transformed into you know one of the top end you know catch and shoot movement 
three-point shooters in the NBA. I mean, that's just that's just fact from, from the numbers. I think this season, number one, he's been banged up, so he's been in and out of the lineup. This was his – I think this was his first game back from his most recent injury hiccups. Um, and so so that's number one. Number two, uh, like I said earlier, everybody, everybody is negatively affected by LaMelo Ball only playing 10 games so far this season. Uh, and then number three, I mean, you know, I just went and I just I, I had a hunch and I just went and looked it up. This is his this is his highest usage rate since since being in Charlotte um, by about by about four or five percentage points. So he's just being tasked mm-hmm. with way, way too much, way, way too much on the ball playmaking responsibilities. You know, Terry Rozier, he exists as his best self as an off ball shot hunter. You know, that that's what he is. Um you know, obviously he has defensive, you know, he's a defensive liability at times. He has, he has, uh, he has physical shortcomings. Um, and sometimes, you know, I think I can understand why Hornets fans, I guess, are a bit hesitant about LaMelo Ball and Terry Rozier moving into the future as a backcourt duo, because as we've, as we've talked about on this podcast, as, as, as many places as LaMelo Ball is a genius on the basketball floor, his point of attack defense is still something that that leaves something to be desired. So, you know, does it make a ton of sense to pair him with, um, you know, a smaller shooting guard that is not a defensive stalwart? I mean, I think, you know, I don't know. I, th- I think uh, I think Terry gets – gets painted as a, as a low effort defender. I don't think that's necessarily the case. I, I think he plays pretty hard, uh, at least by my eyes. I, I think it's more just physical uh, shortcomings than anything else. Um, He's good at jumping passing lanes. I think, I think that's probably one of his yeah. big assets. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. no, absolutely. I mean, he, you know um, so yeah, I, I think those are the three reasons that are contributing to Terry Rozier's not, not great efficiency season shooting the ball. And, uh, you know, to me, it's as simple as that. Yeah, it's like he I think if he, um, you know, if Rozier played on a roster like the Clippers, you could just find hiding places for him and he'd be mostly fine. But yes, like marrying yourselves as a franchise to the Terry LaMelo backcourt is just defensively. It's not a winning strategy, period. Like you just it it can produce some really fun moments offensively. It can produce a very explosive offense at times. I mean. A top ten offense last uh, you know, year. You know, yeah, sixth in the NBA in offensive efficiency last season, and those two guys can like play well off of one another. I think as long as there's another guy to be a magnet for rim pressure from the wing, um, because those two guys alone, but you know, Lamelo's really not getting to the rim a ton, and in a small sample so far this year, and certainly Terry has never been a great <clears throat> rim finisher, and he's really struggling shooting from two this year despite um you know taking more attempts from that range like his three-point attempt rate um you know it's been above 50 the last two seasons it was close to 51 percent last year it's down to 40 this season he's taken almost 16 two-point attempts per 100 possessions his true shooting rate was just under 57 percent across three seasons in his first three years in charlotte which is really impressive really really impressive um, that's down to like I think forty eight percent this season, just completely fallen off of a cliff. So it's not only like is the usage up, but the usage is just being routed through more possessions with him as the primary on ball guy, taking more pull up twos, more pick and roll pull up twos, and that's just not the way to use this guy. And Steve Clifford knows that, obviously. Um, I think that's been with Gordon Hurt, 
with LaMelo injured, both those guys missing a ton of the season, like Terry is just, and certainly, you know, guys like Dennis Smith Jr. have been out, and that's, that again, that that then pushes more Rozier into that on-ball role. So it's not even just the starters being out, it's some of the backup and secondary ball handlers, that missing time that that's really probably pushed Terry into a tough spot. And last night, it was just a tough night. Like, he got, he had some really good looks in that game from deep, like wide open catch and shoots. You know, maybe he was in his head a little bit or just, you know, guys have off nights, even the best shooters in the, in the world. So, I, look, I don't know what you do with, with Terry. Like, it, if you could, I will say this, if you could move him and get value in terms of draft picks, um, in terms of young players in return, I think you absolutely have to do it. I, I know he matters to like the identity of this team. I know he and Lamelo are friends. I know both those guys wear Pumas. Like I, that is a thing. Like I, I do think that that stuff can matter. Um, I think that was part of the reason why he was brought back was because, you know, Charlotte wanted to bring back one of the guys it had developed. But more than that, like I think he and Lamelo they like one another. But despite the fact that they like one another, like that's cool and all, they don't fit. You know, next year they don't. It does. It doesn't work in that capacity, at least as like the full time backcourt that you're trying to close out games with. It'd be one thing if you had a, you know, if you had another, you know, power wing that was starting there, and Terry was coming off the bench and playing 28, 30 minutes or 28, 30 minutes a game as like the backup guy. Um, so I, you know, ultimately this guy, you want the role to get back to that movement shooting, those beautiful design sets. Um, the the guard to guard ghost screens and slips with Lamelo, like you want that to be how his usage is being routed. Maybe we'll get to see more of that, assuming Lamelo gets hurt. Lamelo, of course, did get injured in the game last night, and they just kept him in the game. Uh, love that. Uh, with two minutes left, you know he's out there just rubbing his shoulder nonstop. So, I mean, I, I don't really know what what the plan is with this team this season. I will say I don't understand the usage with Maldone last night. Like why he played pretty well in the first half and then basically saw no yeah. time in the second. And even then, you know, when he was playing with Rozier, he was doing more so in an off ball role. Like I'd love to know what the plan is there. Hornets, Hornets can't diagnose shoulder injuries, Brian. That's the that's the issue. Certainly. It seems to be the case. Um, uh, which is disappointing to to say the least. So um ulti- I, you know, look, we'll see. Maybe there's a, a trade out there for Rozier at the deadline this year. I'm a little skeptical on that, just given that he's in year one of a four-year extension here with a lot of money tied up on it and he's i think 28 29 years old so i'm a little skeptical that you're going to find a deal for him but but uh but but maybe and um and if so if if that deal is there i think you got to take it however i doubt heavily doubt this team uh will 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 manage to thread that needle or will even be aggressive in looking for deals with for terry yeah, I, I think he over Hayward is like the one guy that you should be looking to trade from the veteran point of view. I think everyone talks about Hayward and his contract, which, yeah, he's overpaid for the, the amount of games that he played. But, you know, with this extension with Terry Rozier and with the fit that you guys have been talking about next to LaMelo, doesn't it make more sense to trade a guy that's one younger, two can be more effective on a playoff team and use his gravity as a shooter a little bit better and instead of playing him next to LaMelo Ball? And we're seeing the results uh, with them playing with each other. But again, I, I think the fact that he's played point guard a little bit too much this year plays a little bit of a role. And the last thing I do want to mention before we get out of here uh, of this recap is 
uh, Lamella Ball's pass last night. I, I think maybe I'm being a little bit over dramatic, but I think <laughs> this was one of the better passes of his career. And maybe I'm overselling it, but I'm, I'm going to go ahead and display it here on YouTube. And he only uses his left hand. He catches it uh, at midcourt off a loose ball. He spins around all in one motion and just lofts it over Hart right to a streaking P.J. Washington for a dunk. So the touch on this thing is really good to see. And uh, it's a little bit unsurprising from LaMelo. And it maybe it isn't that great of a pass, but to me, just the way that it's lofted over and he never uses his right hand is amazing to see. But LaMelo filled up the box score last night. He was fairly inefficient and he kept on chucking up shots after shot after shot. And he also fouled out, which is something that we've talked about in previous episodes about the need for him to kind of tone that down and get that cleaned up. He's actually averaging more fouls per game this season than he has in his previous two seasons. So I just wanted to highlight that before yeah. we get out of here. Any final thoughts on this game or any of the players' performances, Lee or Brian? We'll just real quickly say, like, what's so great, this would not be in my personally in my top five or ten passes of LaMelo's career. There's one, it's almost impossible to choose. There's just so many great ones. Right. But what's so great about evaluating passes like this is that it's subjective. This is like going into an art museum, right? And uh, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Like different people can look at this and see different things. It's obviously incredible. The the in in look his his size, the touch, the uh the vision with him is generational. Like he is a generational creator and passer. And um man, he's been awesome since he came back. That pass was sick. I love the trust in PJ. Just throw it up there too. It it sort of felt like a a quarterback in football, like throwing into to coverage and just trusting this tight end to kind of leap up above the linebackers and, and make a play over the middle of the field. Um, so I don't know, was just thoroughly impressed with uh, with that pass, but it would not make my just some of the full court in like quick touch passes the Mellows had or just like the underhand full court. Those are awesome. Passes. Yeah, those are awesome like, too. Just, just yeah. like the guy's, the guy's brain is just nuts. He sees the floor in in another dimension. It seems like at times, but that play is a perfect example of that, and certainly a perfect example of his dexterity and um, in his uh, his touch as a passer, which is is incredible. All right, guys. Thanks again for joining us today. Hornets finished their six game road trip tonight against the Curryless Warriors. James Helton, he finishes off the comment section here. Got to beat the Warriors tonight to make it a 3-3 three and three road trip. So that's his expectation. We appreciate the support. We ask if that you like our pod, go give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen to our shows. And then also, too, we are going to try to get one more episode before the New Year's, probably around Friday. Maybe it releases on Saturday. We will see. But for Lee... For Brian, I'm Richie. We will talk to you guys later.